Um, I, I, I want to say again, um, don't get your hopes up. I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not sure that I'm ready to call this the regular standard. But um, a lot of you said you were very helped by having outlines, and so um, I tried to make that happen. I want to talk a little bit about um, this, this Sunday has been called a Vision Sunday. Once a year we try to kind of talk about kind of reorienting, reorienting, reorienting at the beginning of the year to just make sure that we're focused on the right things. And so I'm not exactly sure what you have in mind for a Vision Sunday, um, but I, I think the, the photographs, um, pictures that we took kind of give you a, a representation of things that we were able to see God do. Um, and those were just pictures, uh, but those events at those pictures represented a lot of things were happening, a lot of um, very encouraging spiritual things were happening. Some of those were Bible studies. Some of those were mission trips. Some of those were vacation Bible school. And some of those, um, there was a, um, uh, some represented times of prayer where we had a night of prayer and fasting. And so many things were represented in those that the picture only gives you a little glimpse. And you're not, for some of you, maybe you weren't quite sure what you were looking at uh, in some of those pictures. And today I want to give you a reason I want to give you a reason to think about how you're going to spend this coming year. And when you see ministries occurring, why you would maybe even be willing for some of you to alter your schedules. Maybe some of you would be willing to rethink um, how you spend your money. Maybe some of you are going to be challenged to involve God in your life more. Maybe some of you are going to find an area where God is calling you to do more than you're currently doing. Some of you are doing a lot. And the evaluation would be, well, am I, am I using my time and commitments properly? And, and maybe you might even be rethinking where you spend your energy. And some of you are um, very engaged in your walk with Christ. Um, but it's not necessarily found the connection to the body of Christ. Um, some of you maybe need to take another step this year. Some people may come infrequently to church and maybe God's calling you to say, well, this is part of how I, I build my church and my kingdom and my gospel. Some of you may come only Sundays and God is saying, hey, there's, there's more things going on and I want you to consider where are you investing your life? And maybe you need to, maybe God is calling you to a greater level of, of commitment than what you're currently experiencing. So that's kind of the, the goal. Um, as I prayed a lot over the last several weeks about, I had a whole nother passage in mind that I was going to talk about, but then I, I read this passage and I think, I, I think maybe it helps give the perspective we're looking for. So is this Vision Sunday is really more about where are you looking? Um, what do you see forward for us as those who've made a commitment to Jesus Christ? And I think this passage helps. And so I've, I've picked up on about 10 things and it's in your list there. And I just want you to ponder these. Um, the passage that Scott read for us, there's 10 things I've just drawn out of here. The first is this, Christ and His love should be of greater value to you than all the world has to offer. Um, would you agree? Um, Christ and His love should mean more to you than all the world. The world's big. 
And the world has our hearts and attention a lot of the time. But Jesus is offering something better, bigger. Okay, Philippians 3, 7 to 9. Whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. So I think you would agree if you do any study at all on the lives of the rich and famous, their lives regularly display that more people pursue, the more people pursue this world, the more miserable they are. Have you seen that? Would you agree that the people that you're running after sometimes, you're a kid and you're like going, I want to be like that person. And if you looked in their life, you would go, no, I don't. And as adults, we see these people and we go, wow, look at that beautiful home and look at that fine car they drive or look at how everyone looks up to them when they walk by. They're so cool. They're so connected. They're so interesting. And you get to know them and they're empty, and then all of a sudden some of them take their lives, or some of them come to the end of their life, and they're just, many of them are just miserable. And they've had everything this world has to offer. And the final analysis is they haven't found the one thing that could make them happy, and that's Jesus Christ. So I want you to recognize the Bible is trying to help you understand that there's something more valuable than whatever it is that you're running after. If it's not Christ, you are going to be severely disappointed. And some of you are disappointed because you think you haven't found the right thing, so you just switch. You're like, well, I think it's this. I think it's that. I think it's this. If you cut your TV on, there's an endless, about every eight minutes or however many minutes in a show, the next three minutes is going to be showing you what you need to make you happy. It's going to be advertisement, 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 one, boom. Millions and millions of dollars are spent at, on advertisement telling you what you need to make you happy and none of them, zero, none of them are telling the truth. Because the only thing that can make you happy is Jesus Christ. And until you have that, nothing else is going to work for you. So that's something that the Bible tells us as we look forward to this coming year and as we make plans for the church of Jesus Christ. Are you living this out? Everyone in here would say, amen, that's true. But does your life reflect what you believe? Um, there's some, Jesus told a wonderful story, uh, the parable about the, the two parables in, in Matthew uh, 13. And one of them says, hey, this guy found a pearl um, of, of so much worth and value. He sold everything he had to find that, to buy that pearl. Like that pearl was, he sold everything. He wanted that pearl. And then another guy found a treasure in a field. I guess he was out digging in the field or walking along and he came across a treasure. And he didn't want to know anyone was there. So he sold everything he had to buy that field. He didn't care about the field. He cared about the treasure in the field. So he sold everything. And Jesus is saying, I'm that pearl. I'm that treasure. Will you give up everything to have me? And the Bible applauds and commends those who do that. And we here at Webster want to do that. We want to commend you if you have treasured Christ above everything in this world. Whether you have nothing or a ton of stuff, we commend you 
if it's clear to us that your love for Jesus Christ rises above those other things because we're on the same value system. Jesus is worth more than anything this world has to offer. Okay? Have you ever given all your goals and all your possessions to God? That's the very first thing that this passage makes. Seems to be very clear in this passage. Number two, His eternal worth is greater than anything you might have to endure in this world. We go through some stuff, right? We go through some hard times. Wouldn't you agree? And the Bible is saying that Jesus is worth whatever you have to go through. Sometimes we ask God to remove all those things. There's nothing wrong, but the Bible gives us warrant to ask that. Bible gives us plenty of permission to say, hey, if you're going through a trial, take that to Christ. Ask Him to remove it. But you're... you're um, the one thing you can't do is like, well, if the trial persists, I can't give up God. It's like, okay, Lord, if you give up this trial, if you want me to continue going through it, I would love for you to take it away. And you're my father, father, you know what's best, would you? But if, if, if the affliction endures, then you're going to say, well, one thing I can't do, and that's deny Christ. One thing I'm not going to do is curse God. And so no matter what, whatever path my father chooses for me, I'm not going to renounce my faith. And we see that all through the Bible. Many people have given up the pursuit of wealth, comfort, success, because it conflicted with their greater desire to have God in their lives. God often blesses his people material, materially, and when he does, it is accompanied, it is accompanied by great generosity. When, God, when it's the blessing of God, then... The, the proper reception of God's blessing is not to lose your love for God and love the thing. Like some of you have been given much. And remember when you're given much, there's a danger that that thing becomes your love and not God. But when you receive gift from God, one of the clear indicators is, I would say there's two indicators. One is generosity. You can, like, it's like, it's really not mine. I, I give this to you, God. And the other thing is your willingness to give it up if ever you felt like that's what God wanted. Like, you're not holding on to it so tightly to say, well, no, I can't follow Christ because I'm rich. You remember Jesus had a conversation with a man who was very rich? And Jesus said, well, then sell all you have to the poor. Jesus wasn't saying that everyone has to sell all they have to the poor. What Jesus was saying was, I know to that man, I know that you love your riches more than me. So would you give them up? And he said, no. And so it's really a question of if Jesus knows that you love him more than what he's given you, then he knows you're going to use it faithfully and you would be willing to lay it down. If that question was posed to you, you'd say, no, I, I give up. If I need to, I give up. I give up the riches. Um, okay. So I think for right now, I want to challenge you to say, well, can, can we do that right now? Can, can you just, would you be willing right here and now to reaffirm your love for God this morning by simply saying, Lord God, I, I want to reaffirm. I give everything to you. 
Maybe you did that when you first became a Christian or when you were younger and you understood that, but maybe you've gone along in the life and you've um, accumulated a lot of stuff. Would you, would you do that now? Would you just right here and right now pause and pray to God? Say, Lord God, everything I have, I want to, I want to, re, I want to tell you right now, here and now, everything belongs to you. And going forward, do with it as you will. Okay, can you do that? I'm just going to stop and we're just going to pray a second. Um, I hope that that's a liberating thing. I hope that some of you go there, it's like, Lord, I do. I mean it. I place my home, my kids, my marriage, my business, my bank account, my retirement. Just give it to you again. Lord, I give it to you again. I just I lay it fresh at your feet. I'm yours. You mean more to me than my retirement account. You mean more to me than my health. You mean more to me than anything that has possibly over time started to supplant my love for you and invert my devotion. I just want to renew my commitment to you right now. I think that that has to, that's a liberating thing to do. Number three, Christ is willing to give you His righteousness by faith. What a deal. What a deal. He's willing to get. Do you know about the righteousness of Christ? Do you know what his righteousness can do? Do you know that it's the righteousness of Jesus that is the only hope you have of getting to heaven? Do you know how unrighteous you are? Do you know your heart? Are you sitting here? Are you awake? Do you understand that he says, I will give my righteousness to you? And some people say, I'm so righteous, I can work my way into heaven. Do you realize what a lie from hell? And that is, that is, the, that is the difference between true Christianity and all other religions is that religious people try to pretend that they're righteous and they're offering to God Almighty their righteousness. What a joke. And the gospel is that God is offering his righteousness to you. You've got this completely backwards. You have no righteousness to offer Christ. And he has all the righteousness and he offers it to you. And that's where it changes this profound life-changing perspective. Christianity is faith-based, not performance-based. In verse 9 it says, be, to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. And that changes everything about how we live our life and why we seek to live a God-honoring life. It's not to impress Him, it's because we are impressed with Him. You see the difference, uh, total Total difference. We are the opposite of righteous and deserve punishment, yet He offers His righteousness to us as if, if we believe in Him and cling to Him as the only hope of salvation. Okay, so let me just say this. 
Do you see the righteousness of Jesus? You know anything about this? You read the Bible. And you know the Bible says Jesus is sinless. And if you read the law and you know how much is contained in the law and how ridiculous and detailed and minute the law is. And have you read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus describes the law in such a way that no one in their right brain. I don't know how people come and say uh, that they, they have this shallow view of the Sermon on the Mount that ends up being just do good and be nice to people. That is clearly not what that passage is saying. The passage is saying is you're unrighteous and you've broken all the laws of God and you need a Savior and the Savior is being offered to you. Do you see that? Do you see the righteousness? How many of you believe that the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus would fully meet the demands of God? Yeah, and how many of you would rather think it's a better idea for you to take your righteousness to stand before God? Well, well, where's all your hands? You don't have any righteousness to offer to God. And so when you go to stand before God and you want into heaven, what you're saying is, Lord God, the last thing I want is my righteousness because I ain't got none. I don't have any. I want to stand upon the righteousness of Christ. And that's what, that's what a conversion is. So you get this in your head. If you're trying to impress, if you think you're going to stand before God and say, look at what I've done. He's going to say, out of my sight. You really think I would choose, compare what you've done to what my, you're, you're, you're going to stand before me and offer to me some form of your religious doing compared to the perfection of my son? Can you imagine what an insult that is to God when people stand and they say, no, I stand, I stand in my claim to righteousness. And he goes, I offered you my son. And you choose, your, you bring this trash in front of me when I'm offering this treasure and I'm giving you the righteousness of Christ. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's life changing. Okay, have you, have you done that? Do, are you here and you're like going, no way am I offering me I'm standing in the righteousness of Jesus. And that's what we're saying. We're not good here. We're not good. This is not a church full of good people. This is a, a church full of people who found a good Savior. We don't come here and brag about what we've done. As a matter of fact, what we've done is pretty embarrassing. I mean, especially for those on the left side over here. And the, the truth of the matter is, we don't really have anything we want to... Lay before God and say, look at what I've done. We want to fall on our faces before God and say, thank you for what you've done. That's the gospel. Believing in what he did for us poor sinners. That's the gospel. Do you understand? Is anybody here ready to make that deal today? It's like, Lord God, I'm tired of offering up my stuff. I'm just like, oh, this is the best news ever. I don't have to perform anymore. You did it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. And number four, like him, you will rise from the dead. He will give you, if he gives you his righteousness, guess what? You're going to rise from the dead. If you believe in the righteousness of Jesus, then you also believe in the resurrection of Jesus because it was the power of Christ's righteousness that rose him from the dead. Death could not hold him in the ground because his righteousness was so per perfect that he could pay for sin and still rise from the dead. And so it's our hope in the righteousness of Christ that gives us the hope of the resurrection. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in death, 
and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. How may we attain the resurrection from the dead? By the righteousness of Christ. And to prove he was so righteous, God raised him from the dead. The resurrection is the affirmation or the amen of God to the righteousness of Jesus. It's, that's his big old amen. Jesus, did Jesus, did God accept Jesus' death for sin? Amen, he rose from the dead. That's like the proof of God's acceptance of Christ's righteousness. And guess what? If you cling to the righteousness of Christ, then he'll raise you from the dead. You will be raised from the dead on the power of Christ's righteousness. When you attach yourself to Jesus, baptism is pretty much this. If you attach yourself to Jesus, you're going under with him and you're coming up with him. That's your commitment. I commit to Jesus. I'm going under with him. I'm going to die myself and I'm going up with him. It's a beautiful picture of the righteousness of Christ. Okay. Um, okay, number five. This will give you courage to live boldly for God. This is what's so cool. It's like once you know you're going to rise, fear, death doesn't have the same fear on you anymore. It's like, okay, maybe I go through this, but I'm coming out. Most people, the large majority of people that I baptize think I'm going to let them come up. Large percentage of them do. And to this point, to this point I'm 100%. I always let them come up. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus is 100% committed to this. If you commit to me, you're coming up, my friend. If you commit to me, you're coming up. I don't care how this world takes you out. It could be a horrible, it could be whatever you have to go through. Jesus says, you're coming out with me. We're going through death. We're not just going into death, we're going through death. The promise of the resurrection is we will go through death. Jesus carries you through it, not just to it. Okay? And it's... Wonderful. You'll rise from the dead and this gives you courage. And the Bible is the story after story of people who had found this courage to live in the most intense situations. Um, you remember Cassie of Columbine, this little girl, I think middle schooler. You remember this story? You remember the girl, remember Columbine, Colorado, when the, um, this guy came in there and he was shooting people and especially if they said they were Christians and she said, I, I'm a Christian. Any young people in here? Would you do that? How about you older people? Would you do that? And here's the thing. Some people say, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that. Yes, you could. By faith in God, you could. No, you couldn't if it's up to you. But in that moment, when the hour of that moment comes and you turn your hope and heart to Jesus, you're like going, Jesus, I'm all in. I meant when I gave my life to you, I know that you will carry me through this. I'm not looking forward to it. I don't know what will happen. You know, there's times when God tells you to take a stand for him and you're not sure what's going to happen. And the promise of the resurrection should make you say, well, no matter what comes, even unto death, we will not part. I'm going to stand for you, God. Give me the courage in the hour. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how I would do under pressure, but I do know this. When the pressure comes, if I cling to Christ, He will provide everything I need in the hour. It's not me sitting here playing this game. Oh, how bold are you? I'm not that bold. 
And it's not how bold and confident and cocky I am in myself. It's my confidence in Christ in that hour. And so the beautiful thing is the Bible is a book full of stories of people that have found such courage, un, un, unimaginable courage in the hour of crisis because in that hour the grace of God was sufficient. And the same is true for you. That's what's so beautiful about this view of the resurrection and the future that we have committed ourselves to and that Christ has committed to us. And I would recommend, um, there's two things you can read if you want to, and one is Voice of the Martyrs. Are you feel, any familiar with Voice of the Martyrs? The whole magazine exists so you can hear the testimonies of people who are this courageous for God. And most of them would say, no, I'm not much. But in the hour, Christ met with me, Christ was with me, and He gave me un, un strength I did not have in myself. In the hour when I need it, he was there for me. And then I'm sure some of you have heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it's a historical account of, I don't know, it probably goes up to the, I don't remember when it was written, so maybe it goes in the 1700, somewhere along there, and it tells the account of so many who were willing. They found the value of Christ greater than the life itself, and they refused to give away their faith. And the book of Revelation talks about the martyrs for the faith and how they're being held up in heaven. It's like, man, you guys were awesome. You just stood for the Lord no matter what. And they're like applauding and loving that fact. God can do that for you. He'll give you the courage. Okay, number six, this will radically change how you live now. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, like I know the way I used to live, and I also know, I know how I used to live before Christ. I also know how I've lived after becoming a Christian. And I can get pretty upset about my life after becoming a Christian. I like going, man, Lord, I should be so much farther along. I'm so sorry for the mess I've made and the terrible things I've done. Even as a Christian, it's like, forgive me. But the Bible says, don't get so locked in on your past that you forget that God wants to take you right here, right now, redeem the path forward. So if you're not a Christian, he says, don't worry about the past. If you are a Christian, he says, don't worry about the past. Right now, lock in and know that my gospel is powerful enough to save you and deliver you from your sins before you became a Christian and your sins as a Christian. It's very important because some people start the Christian life and they get so discouraged and they go, I just can't do this. And God says, of course you can't. I'm so glad to hear you finally say that, but I can. And he says, jump in. Increase your courage. Don't just sit here and stress out all the things you've done wrong. You can't change that, and I died for that. So let's just pick up right here, and let's go forward in the name of Jesus, right? You, you with me? Okay. All right. He wants to change how you live going forward, and that's where I whole idea that heaven affects earth. Knowing where you're going changes how you live now. Okay. Number seven, be careful not to get distracted from the ultimate prize of Christ in heaven. He says, um, imitate me. Join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example. So if you want to keep a heavenly focus, you need to spend some time with those who have the same goal. He says, join in imitating me. And that means get well connected and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example of Paul and Christ. So there are those who will influence your life. So some of you need this. Some of you are out there and you chug alone all week. And you're like, well, I got an hour in. And then for the rest of the however many hours, anyone know, some person know how many hours in a week? How many is it? 168? Okay. 
168 hours in a week. And we give, sometimes we think, I can get by with one hour with God and 167 hours of um, influence from others. And it's like, no, you, you're affected by who you hang out with. It's just, a, it's just a fact. And those who hung out with Jesus for three years were radically changed. And some of us have been hanging out with Jesus for a long time. And we're being changed. But I will promise you this, the more you hang out with those people who want to be radically changed by Jesus, the more radically changed by Jesus you will be. And it's called fellowship and community and connecting. When we use that word connect in our, our three words, connect, we mean connect with God and connect with others who are connected with God. And it'll make a big impact upon you. Okay? Um, recognize that what you crave says a lot about where you're going. Um, for many I've often, whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So I think Paul was hurt by the fact that many people weren't walking with Christ. He said their end is destruction. They were heading toward destruction. And then he talks about what they crave. Their God is their belly. I'm hungry. Uh, I'm, I want to satisfy my... It's really a, um, a summary of their, all their carnal or natural appetites. And it says they're driven by their appetites. And appetites are strong. Sexual appetite, power comfort, and their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Like we're longing for heaven, they're longing for earth. And just so you know, um, Jesus said where your, wait, where your treasure is, your, your heart is. And so I just want to know, do you, do you get excited about the things of God? It's like excite you. Like, man, I want to go to church and give God the praise he deserves. I'm going to read this book and it's going to help me learn how to live for God more. There's a marriage conference coming up. Come on, honey, let's go to the marriage conference. Let's build up our marriage and let's promote marriage. Hey, there's this pro-life thing in a couple of weeks. I'm all in because this is important to God. I want to learn more about it. We're going to do something at the end of this month and we're going to talk about this. It's like, I want to learn more. Like, I believe in it. I want to, what can I do to help? It's like, I, I want to help. Missions. Wow, God, you're working over here and over there and over there. What can I do? You want me to go? You want me to help pay? Want me to get on my face and pray for the people in Slovenia? You want me to pray for the people around the world that are lost and dying? Where, where's your desire? No, I want to go get a new this or a new that. No, I want to spend all my life looking at TikTok. Where's your heart? Where's your desires? Jesus says that shows a lot about where you really want to go. The stuff you watch and take in all the time and spend your money on and all you think about waking up during the day shows a lot about where your heart really is. And I just wonder, are you bold enough to evaluate that? You're like going, nah, I'll pay that. I'm in. I'm a Christian. Or you're like going, no, Lord, man, the way I spend my time reveals a lot about what I love. And it's like, Lord, will you modify that? I want to love you more. Man, heaven's where I'm going. 
And that's number nine. The most incredible transformation will take place when you get to heaven. Unbelievable thing. I don't even know how to begin to describe what's going to happen. Do you? I don't know. I know some little things. I know I won't sin anymore. Praise God. I know I'm going to give Jesus the worship he deserves. Praise God. I try now, but it's terrible, pitiful. Sometimes we get halfway there and worship, and some of you do, and some of you are like going, oh, this is boring. How long is this going to be? And it's like, okay, God, one day I'm not going to have these problems. I'm going to be so on fire for you. And lastly, stay on course to carry out the mission. Okay? And that's where I just want you to think. Instead of giving you a long list of all the things we're going to do in 24, I'm going to make it real simple for you. Here's what I want to do. we got a bunch of stuff coming up. And I could give you the long list, but here's what I just really want you to do. Lord God, what do you want me to, to connect? How do you want me to be connected? Am I, am I truly connected? Have I made a very clear profession of faith in Jesus Christ? And am I experiencing a walk with God? I'm connected. And am I truly connected to the body of believers where you've called me to live my Christian faith? Am I truly connected? You see all those pictures? Did those pictures mean anything to you? Were you in any of them? At least there. Then I can question, are you really very connected? Just barely, barely. You're like a, um, something the car ran over. You know, you can hit a skunk and your car will smell like a skunk for about three weeks. And you can go to church and eventually that smell will wear off. And you can go to church about once every three weeks, but it don't take long for that smell of Christ to wear off. Okay, so are you really connected? And then secondly, are you growing? We create multiple opportunities for you to grow no matter what your age level. Are you, are you, are you taking advantage of any of these things? And number four, are you serving? Are you going? Are you serving Christ? Many opportunities come along. And the same 20% of people are there week after week after week after week, serving and growing. Let's, can we not bump that thing at least closer to 50%? I know 70% may seem unrealistic, but I, I mean, the typical is like 20% do 80% of the work. Can we not bump that number up a little bit? Will you help? Will you help us do that? Okay, so... All right, take this stuff and look over it and read it. I went to all this trouble to make you uh, notes, so you better read every verse on there. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much. You're so good to us, and we can't imagine when we think about the future and the righteousness of Christ and the power of the resurrection and what heaven holds, and we're going to be transformed. And we want, to, we want to be more proactive right now. So I just pray in the coming year that people are going to take big steps, little steps, whatever steps. They're just going to surrender to you and Lord say, Lord God, what steps do you want me to take? And I just pray that we would be heavenly focused and it would impact the way we live out the rest of our time on earth. Bless what we're going to do, God. Please be with us and save many people this coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. can go ahead and stand. We're going to close with all I have is Christ.